But now I'm going to hand over to Daphne. When you walked in, you were all given one of these. And uh, this is about Leah and, uh, and what happened to her four years ago. And Daphne is going to give us an update. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be together. Um, what is there to say about Leah? We seem to have adopted her as a, a young person in our family church. But this year would have been her 18th birthday. I wonder if you remember your 18th birthday. In my day, it was the 21st. I didn't get a chance to celebrate both 18 and 21. But this is a very important year for Leah, and I'm just going to read out something as a bit of an update. CSW will mark Christian schoolgirl Leah Sharabu's 18th birthday with an online prayer event, and Georgia and I attended that on Friday. Leah was the sole Christian among 110 schoolgirls abducted by the Islamic State West African Province faction of Boko Haram from their school in Dapchi, and that's in Nigeria, and that was in 19, sorry, 2018. While her surviving classmates returned a month later following government negotiations, she was denied her freedom for refusing to convert as a precondition for release. So that's why Leah is still in captivity. She's still a Christian. She's been in captivity ever since. In February, a couple of years ago, her mother, Rebecca, I've met Rebecca because we went as a group to the Nigerian High Commission Embassy in the UK when we could. And she is still obviously with her husband and Leah's brother mourning the absence of Leah. They go to an evangelical church in their area. So she's delivered a petition. We keep on delivering petitions to the Nigerian High Commission and indeed abroad. So Leah will be marking her 18th birthday this year as a captive. The brave girl is an example to all of us as she continues to stay true to her Christian faith and refuses to renounce her faith. We continue to call on the Nigerian government to do everything in its power to secure her swift release. We also urge the international community to raise her case with Nigeria at every opportunity and to offer assistance to counter the continuing threat posed by armed non-state actors. Good morning, everyone. I've got the reading this morning, and it's from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. It's headed Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged in the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. He replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Thank you. Um, if you've got your Bible open, um, turn it to chapter 9 of the book of Acts if you're at home. Um, that's a great time to grab a Bible quickly if you've not got one. Um, but just going back to Leah, um, it really is uh, an incredible story, isn't it? And, uh, and I don't think you can help but be um, just uh, completely overwhelmed by the strength of her faith. Um, it's a tragedy, obviously, what's happened to her. And it's uh, the most uh, inhumane sense of injustice uh, that our world does nothing to save her. Um, but that story is played out in many places, isn't it, sadly, time and time again. But in her reality, in that story that we've been told and we've seen unfold over the last four years, we do see something of the DNA and the destiny of Christians in a sinful, broken world. We mustn't be so naive as to think that we can all live happy, comfortable lives whilst we choose to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. The destiny of God's people when they stand true to what they believe and the words of this book and they choose to make Jesus their king and savior above all other gods uh, with a small g because there are no other gods. Uh, the word persecution is soon the watchword for God's people and it is for poor Leah. But we say, uh, and amongst all the evil, uh, we do see something inspiring in the story of Leah, don't we? We see how powerful it is to truly encounter the risen Lord Jesus, the power of our relationship and a friendship with God himself, that a 14-year-old can stand defiant before a terrorist organization and refuse flatly to renounce her faith and convert to Islam. I find it utterly incredible and amazing and humbling that this girl, 14 years old, should say no, choosing her king over her safety. I wonder, as Georgia said in her prayer, how many of us would do the same. But we trust in God's strength in those moments. Our series of talks is titled Encountering the Risen Christ. And this morning we're looking at the story of Saul, or Paul, as we all know him, after he'd met the risen Jesus Christ. And just like Leah, Paul was a man with such conviction of his faith. He too, at the end of his life, would find himself in prison, a captive for two years under house arrest, before eventually paying the ultimate price, and legend has it, or tradition has it, I should say, that he was beheaded in Rome after two years. But this morning, we're looking at his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and the word that's going to accompany us is the word transformation, the transforming of Paul um, as he meets and encounters the risen Lord Jesus. And so let's go open up to... Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 9. I might just read it again, um, just because it is the most incredible story, really. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The three men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat anything. It really is the most incredible story. Um, Saul was not a very nice man. Uh, He attacked and he persecuted God's people with venom and anger and a self-righteousness which was dangerous to anyone that got in the way. Uh, Paul was transformed on the road to Damascus in pretty much every conceivable way a human being can be transformed. And this is the hope of Christianity, isn't it? This is the hope of following Christ. Not that you feel a bit better about yourself or not even that you get a place in heaven when you die, although that should be enough is that actually Jesus transforms us from the inside out in a way that no one else, no other philosophy or religion or practice or self-discipline or self-help book or well-being group ever could hope to. Christ changes us in a way no other human being or institution on planet Earth or all of human history can. And we all want a road to Damascus experience, don't we? You may have heard many people say, I'd love a road to Damascus experience. I'll tell you what a friend of mine called Brian said many years ago when I said the similar thing. He said, why on earth do you want a road to Damascus experience? That bloke was a murderer. And so actually, sometimes we want the dramatic, but perhaps Paul needed the dramatic because of simply how far he'd slid from the truth. God sometimes comes to us in gentleness and sometimes comes to us in passion and power. And we often want something similar, don't we? Um, But the point is, God calls us. God calls us in the way that's specific to us. It needed to be dramatic for Saul. His sin was extreme. But not just that, his mission would be costly. We sometimes want the big experiences from the Bible, don't we? But do we want the cost that goes with it? We want to see the face of Christ. But do we really want to follow him and carry our cross into perhaps the end of our life? And the cost is high for the call that we often want. There was a dramatic conversion for Saul. He's on the road to Damascus. Why Damascus? Well, the Jews, uh, for various reasons, up until that point, have been spread out from Israel all over the globe, um, and they've gone as far as Damascus and further. And so these Jews, um, who for various reasons lived outside of Jerusalem, um, were still under the control, if you like, of the Sanhedrin um, and the leaders in Israel, but their influence would have been quite weak in those synagogues in Damascus. And so Saul decides, he hears at some point, presumably, that this terrible thing called Christianity, well, it wasn't called that then, had spread to the synagogues in Damascus, that Jews were becoming Christians. And so he gets these letters with one intention only, to go and round them up, arrest them, drag them back to Jerusalem and make them pay. 135 miles apparently, a six-day journey. That's how committed Saul was to opposing the things of God. He goes there to stop Christianity in Damascus. No one really knows how Damascus had its Christians, but it's conceivable that after Stephen's death at the end of chapter 7, in chapter 8, when a great persecution broke out, that Christians spread out. It may be that they went to Damascus. This is, of course, the second time that we meet Saul. The first time we see him standing by Stephen is murdered for his faith, giving his approval and looking after people's coats. I love in verse 2 how uh, followers of Jesus are described as followers of the way. Um, I think that's the most wonderful definition of being a Christian. I like being called a Christian, don't get me wrong. It's all right, it's a good title because you're a Christian. Um, But I like being a follower of the way. Um, because most things are dead ends in life, aren't they? Most philosophies are dead end philosophies, but we know the way. John 14, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
But this was a dramatic encounter. The light of Jesus was brighter than the noonday sun. The voice of heaven silenced everyone. Verse 4 shows a, a wonderful Verse 5, I'm sorry. Um, no, sorry, verse 4 shows a wonderful connection between Jesus and his followers. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? As Christians, we're not just some people that believe in Jesus. We're connected to Christ. We're in Christ. And when people attack us for our faith, when people attack Paul Leah, they attack Jesus himself. That intimacy between us is real. Paul finds himself blinded for three days. Like Zechariah at the beginning of Luke, it gives him time to reflect and make some big life choices. And that, sum, that transformation is summed up in the change of name. Paul was always called Paul, by the way. Saul and Paul, it was a Roman, his Roman name. But he decides to have himself called Paul rather than Saul because his mission was to go to those who were non-Jewish, the Gentiles. And so having a, a non-Jewish name would be better. And from verse 13, chapter 13, he does just that. But this story reminds us, going back to Leah one final time, actually, is that we should pray for her captors as well. And it may seem outrageous, but if the story of Paul reminds us of anything, is that the most evil, vile, violent human being can find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Whilst we must pray for her safety and her faith to hold strong, and we must stand with her, not just once a year, but regularly, we should also pray for those men who have probably done unspeakable things, not just to her, but for many people, that Christ would shine a light in their hearts, that they might become blinded to evil and embrace grace and salvation. We should pray that within Boko Haram there will be a Saul who would go on a mission unlike no other and preach the good news, the only truth, the only way to life. So Paul was transformed in every conceivable way. And the message this morning is that when you come to know Jesus, you too can be transformed in every conceivable way. And just five really quick things. The first way he was transformed was in terms of his identity. In Philippians chapter 1, no, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 11, Paul writes this. And I'll read this just quickly. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I once myself had reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is the basis on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. 
In short, what Paul's saying was, if anyone else thinks they're amazing, I've got more reasons to be amazing in the world's eyes than anyone else. But the moment I met Jesus Christ, what was my identity, I now consider rubbish, garbage, a sack of yuckiness that I just don't want anything more to do with. Paul worked so hard to be something in the world's eyes. But the moment he met Jesus Christ, he realized that how foolish he'd been. He spent hours, days, looking the part, sounding the part, believing the right things according to his culture. But then he woke up and met Christ, and he realized his true identity was never found in those things in the first place. It was found in knowing Jesus Christ. And I look out at our world, I look out at what's on social media, what's on the TV, and the baseline of most of what is said is to do with identity and the struggle to find out who you really are. We tell ourselves that we should be the real us, the real you, as if you know who you really are anyway. No one knows you, you don't even know yourself. But we search for this thing called identity And the world promises that if we have the right hashtag or follow the right thing or make certain decisions, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be the real us. Then we'll finally discover who we really are. But all that is happening is that we are simply being squeezed into a mold that is not our own making. A mold that our culture demands we fit into. Promising the earth but having no power to deliver a single thing. Think like this. Speak like this. Behave like this then you'll be happy. Or is it really, then we'll accept you, culturally. Jesus Christ offers every single human being the chance to break free from this, to discover not what the world thinks they think they are, but who God designed us to be from before the world was made. Paul's whole notion of identity was transformed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I'll add my name to that list. At 11 years old, my whole concept of identity was transformed when I met Jesus Christ at Good May's Baptist Church, and I thank him every day for it. Second thing that transformed is his message. Paul had preached a message of works and law and obedience to Sabbath regulations and things like that. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Everything was about working your way into God's approval and God's kingdom. But once he got to know Jesus, he understood something he'd never understood before, and that is the concept of grace. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 16. He says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace so that I might preach, sorry, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. And he goes on and tells a story. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he speaks of grace, that we're saved by grace and not by works. In an instant, his whole message changes. Not come and do, but it's come and believe, come and accept. Do you know, the Christian message of grace is truly radical. And I think we're so familiar with it that we forget how radical it is. There is zero grace in our culture. There is zero grace. Just get a parking ticket. 
and try and come up with and try and give them a real excuse as to why you shouldn't pay it, and you'll discover how graceless we have become. The message people shout now, they shout it. The message that's shouted is shouted often in rage and anger. How culture screams, we must be tolerant, and yet threatens to destroy any single person who dares to believe something different. And you know, one day, maybe sooner than we would like to think, even praying for someone to be all that God created them to be could soon be illegal. Our message as Christians is one of graciousness, freedom for the sinner, conversion to life, hope for all. And we shout it, but we shout it with joy, not rage and anger like our culture often does. Paul's focus changes. Ephesians, no, not Ephesians, sorry. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Paul says this. Not that I have already obtained all this. That's that resurrection from the dead. Or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of this then, who are all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Paul suddenly had a different focus for his life. It was no longer about exterminating Christians or ridding the world of uh, this new religion. It was no longer about being seen as righteous in the eyes of his contemporaries in the world. But now his eyes are lifted upwards. His focus is on the kingdom of God and living to please his gracious Lord and maker and king. To heaven, to glory, to future. Paul is no longer focused on the daily grind, the daily stuff that we think is so important. He's out of all of that. He later on in Philippians will say he learned the secret of contentment to have lots and to have little because he knew God and all the riches of grace in Jesus Christ. Many people live their life like a motorhome. Let me read this. They've got time. This is how most people live their life. The motorhome has allowed us to put all the conveniences of home on wheels. A camper no longer needs to contend with sleeping in a sleeping bag. By the way, this all sounds good to me. Um, Sleeping in a sleeping bag, cooking over a fire, or hauling water from the stream. Now he can park a fully equipped home on a cement slab in the midst of a few pine trees, hook up to a water line, a sewer line, and electricity. One motorhome I saw recently had a satellite dish on top. No more bother with dirt, no more smoke from the fire, no more drudgery of walking to the stream. Now it is possible to go camping and never have to go outside. We buy a motorhome with the hope of seeing new places, of getting out into the world. Now it is possible, sorry, yet we deck it out with the same furnishings of our living room. Thus nothing really changes. We may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surroundings, but the newness goes unnoticed. We've only carried along our old setting with us. The adventure of the new life in Christ begins when the comfortable patterns of the old life are left behind. And Paul pushes all of it away and focuses on Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, um, 
If you've ever experienced that dramatic encounter, it was bigger for Paul. His past was transformed and his future. He focused on the resurrection to come. But I wonder, have you experienced that transformation of Jesus Christ? Do you encounter, have you encountered Christ for the first time? Have you asked him into your life as your Lord and Savior? Do you encounter him on a daily basis? Do you make it your absolute priority to start your day encountering the risen Lord Jesus Christ? I'm willing to bet that Leah spends every single day seeking God because he is her strength. He is her refuge. He is the horn of her salvation to use a biblical term. It's so easy for us to forget all Jesus with all the stuff in our spiritual caravan. Maybe we need to get out and actually experience him in a fresh way. How many of you in this room are searching for identity? How many of you are seeking to know who you really are? And the world tells you one thing, and I think the world is lying to you. The world is lying to you. Tells you things that are not true because it has a hidden agenda. And be careful of it. Christ loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. What is our message as Christians? Is it full of grace and forgiveness and love for the lost and the found? Or are we pharisaical in how we present Jesus? What do we focus on? Have we truly had our priorities transformed? Do we care how much we have? Are we content with little or lot? Are we focused on the kingdom of God? Or the kingdom of me. Should we just pray for a few moments before we end our service together? Let's think of Paul's transformation. Think of that road to Damascus. And maybe just in the silence, just for a second or two, just cast your eyes upwards. Maybe you've never become a Christian. Maybe this morning you want to encounter Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, I know that you're God's son. Follow along with me if you want to. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And I want to say sorry for all the things I've done that I shouldn't. I want you to be my Lord and my King and my Savior. I want to know who I truly am through you, my creator and my maker. Think about our message. What what do we tell people about Jesus? What do we tell people about what matters in life? We talk of grace and salvation and hope. Maybe say, Lord, change what I say to my friends and family. Or maybe just recommit this morning to actually engaging and encountering Christ on a daily basis because he stands at the door and knocks. And if you open the door of your heart, he will eat with you, fellowship with you, and love you and be near you. Father God, as we come to the end of our time together, Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. We pray again for Leah, but Lord, all of our brothers and sisters that are uh, paying the price for serving you. Father, we thank you that the reward will be great in heaven. Be with them, we pray. Release Leah, Lord, I pray. Be with us this week that we will be inspired by her faith, that we would say no when the world says go on. May we resist temptation, Father, and put you first in all things. And we thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a good week.